0: This podcast is brought to you by Anchor.fm, an easy and free way to get your podcast journey started. Whether you've been recording for years or you're looking for a place to start, Anchor FM is the way to go to get your podcast on all platforms. Click the link in the bio to get started. Top of the morning, 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 top of the morning. Thank you for tuning in to Top of the Morning, where we talk about sports and a whole lot more. I am Cameron, your host. I'm back at you with another episode talking about this past weekend UFC 290. Arguably, going down in the books, it's the greatest card of all time. We saw two championship fights between Brandon Moreno and Alexander Pantoja, followed by Alexander Volkanovsky and Yair Rodriguez. But the whole card from getting in, even the early prelims, the prelims, the main card, everything. The whole thing was a movie. And if you didn't watch it, I'm sorry for you. You missed some exciting fights. And, you know, when we have these main event fights, these championship fights, these late Times on the cards when the main cards start at ten o'clock. Typically, I'm falling asleep by the time the championship fight come around. But yet last night or Saturday night, when I was watching these fights, I was awake. I was into it. I was in tune. I didn't feel tired at all, just because every single fight was that good. There was four separate fights that ended in less than one minute, which is a UFC record. So looking back in five years, when we look back at this card, we're going to look at it and say, "Wow!" Like. We were really blessed with a really great card. And all the fighters in that card came to play. They came to fight hard. They came like they had everything to lose, and they fought that way. So it was a really good card. I'm going to break it down. Really just the the main card and then the last fight on the prelims. Because if I'm going from early prelim on, it's going to take forever. But let's get right into it. Let's get right into it because it was a really, really exciting card. So the last fight on the prelim was Robbie Lawler versus Nico Price. So this is Robbie Lawler's last fight. If you've been following UFC for any time at all, you know Robbie Lawler is a legend. He made his debut back in 2002, so he's been in the game for 21 years. So he's finally retired at 41. He finished his fight in 38 seconds against Nico Price by knockout. He did a lot of dirty boxing. Uh, When I say dirty boxing, I don't mean illegal boxing, just in the clinch, throwing hooks, uppercuts, put his opponent to sleep. It was a thing of beauty. And for your last fight to end in a knockout and to end in the first round, he, he definitely went out with a bang. Former welterweight champion, he was ranked for a long time and, you know, just his time came as every fighter or every athlete, every athlete's time is going to come. His time came last night, he sent off in, in, a, in a great fashion. So I was really happy to see Robbie go off in that fashion. I was really happy for his career and the night before the fights, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. He already had a fight in the Hall of Fame, if you know he fought Roy McDonald, and that fight alone made it into the Hall of Fame. And if you have not seen the fight, watch it. It was probably one of the bloodiest fights I've ever seen. But Robbie ended up winning by technical knockout. Um, I, th- I believe it was the fourth or fifth round. It was a fight for the the decades, and the, he was awarded as such. So really happy for Robbie, and you know he will just be a fan from now on. And you know I I just I'm happy for him to finally settle down and be a family man. And just say hey I had a great career now time for the next step in life so that was the last fight on the main card then we get to the main card we're opened up by Bo Nickel versus Val Woodburn now Bo Nickel was supposed to fight a guy by the name of Trayshawn Gore but Treshawn Gore ended up pulling out because of an injury so he was replaced by Val Woodburn now Val Woodburn was making his UFC debut he was 7-0 before then before Saturday and Bo Nickel as you know, was an elite wrestler at Penn State. He's coming to the UFC, he's 4-0. This is his second time on the main card, and which is interesting and you know not common because typically guys don't make it into the main card until they have some quality fights under the belt. It's not common you see a guy with not a lot of fights and also not ranked opening the main card. But Bo Nickel has deserved it. You know His last fight was really good. This fight he put on Saturday, he finished that fight in the first round as well. He got Woodburn with a quick right hook and then got him with the left straight and then a little bit of ground and pound and it was over just like that in the first round. Now, if you use Stream East to stream these fights, I'm gonna need you to like not use Stream East next time. Because as soon as the fight kicked off, the site crashed and when I got it pulled back up, the fight was over. So we either need to start buying pay-per-views or start, you know finding other sites to use because stream east is too hot everybody knows about it it's gonna crash on these main events because it always does so let's look for something else but that's how the main card opened up by bo nickel so he really really good fight really really good fighter and also a good fight after that we had jalen turner the tarantula versus dan the hangman hooker this fight started out and it was good from the jump and you know it's a good fight when you're watching these rounds and you really can't tell who won. It seems like it's tied from from the first round to the fifth round or whenever they finish. Well, it'll be three rounds. From the first round to the third round, you really can't tell. So Jalen Turner hit some good hits in. He kept, caught Hooker with the left high kick that if anybody else would have taken that high kick, they would have been knocked out, which I, I'm, I'm appalled that Hooker was able to eat that and keep going and keep fighting. Hooker returned some good shots of his own after the third round. They ended up going to a split decision with Hooker taking a win. So they're both ranked in the top 15 in their division, in the lightweight division. They're number 11 and number 12. So we'll see Hooker move up probably a couple spots in the rankings. And even though Turner lost, I can't see him dropping too much just because that fight was too good of a fight. But we'll see what happens with the rankings come next week or so in the next coming weeks. And of course, they probably won't fight again their other respective opponents until a couple months down the road. Cause you know, you got, it's a fight. You got injuries or minor nicks and bruises and everything like that. And you know, you go on medical suspension and then you go back and training and you know, all that jazz. So that was the, that was the second fight of the main car. And then after that, we go into a third fight of the main car with two familiar names, two top five opponents, two top five fighters in the middleweight division which is 185. We got Rob Whitaker and Drikas Duplessis. So this fight is going to determine, or this fight was the determining factor of who was going to get a shot at the title fight next against Israel Adesanya. Robert Whitaker has already fought Adesanya and lost. Drikas has not. So Adesanya the whole time, if you've seen after the fight, he was like, oh, I manifested this, I manifested this, I wanted to fight Drikas the whole time. And they had a little little spat inside the octagon, which I thought was kind of corny on Adesanya's part, but to each their own. So this was a fight that was really good as well. And these are two really technical, technically sound fighters. Two fighters who are very seasoned in their game and really know what they're doing. Whitaker ended up getting caught with a straight right jab that put him in a daze. Had his eyes rolling back and everything. And then DDP just finished with some ground and pound, and that was it. So, Drikas Duplessis is going to fight Israel Adesanya in about eight weeks for the middleweight championship of the world. So, we all know that the most of the world is going to be cheering for Adesanya. But we also know that Adesanya is not invincible. Alex Pereira showed us that. And also, Jan Blachowicz showed us that when he went up to 205 to try and become a double champion. But understandably so, when you go up a division or go up a weight class, it's going to be a little bit tougher just because that's just the way it goes. So I can't pin that too much on Adesanya, but Alex Prayer, the things he did to Adesanya that fight when he beat him for the championship were unholy. But of course, Adesanya came back, even stronger, got his belt back, and now he's going to put on the line again against DDP. So I can't wait for that. It's going to be about eight weeks until they fight, but that's going to be a show as well. Moving on to the co-main event, Brandon Moreno versus Alexander Pantoja. Now, these guys, this is the second time that these guys have fought. The first time was in 2019. In 2019, these guys were still good fighters, but they weren't even close to what they are now. Brandon Moreno has had a very interesting run of title fights as of recent. We remember his rivalry against Davidson Figueredo, where they fought four times. The first time they tied, second time Moreno won, third time Figueredo won, fourth time Moreno won. So that was, like I think, the first quadrilogy that we've seen in the UFC. Now, this is the second time that him and Pantoja fought, and Pantoja beat him in 2019 as well by decision. And now they fought again. Pantoya ended up winning, stripping Moreno of the flyweight belt, and now he is the new champion at 125. Now, Matoya is a guy who's very technical in his craft. Now, this is the first time I've also seen him fight. You know, th- and it's a—he's a he's number two contender, so he's not a slouch. Even though I haven't seen him fight before, it doesn't mean that he's not good. Because uh, there's a lot of guys that are in the UFC who maybe I haven't studied or maybe I haven't focused on that are still really, really good fighters. So, and he proved that this past Saturday by beating Brandon Moreno. Now, Moreno did outstrike Pantoya. On the feet, Moreno was on stop. Moreno was unstoppable. He was boxing Pantoya really well, catching him with some really good shots. His jabs were uncontested pretty much the entire fight. But what Moreno lacked was his takedown defense. Now, once he was on the ground, his transitions were really good, his escape ability was really good, his ability to stand up out of guards was really good. And we've seen that from Moreno against numerous people. We've seen that against Davidson Figueredo, who's a um, master at jujitsu. We've seen that against Kai Car friends we know Moreno is slippery. We know Moreno is able to get out of tricky situations on the ground. But this fight, I don't know, it was just it was just different. Typically you don't see Moreno get manhandled like that, but every time Pantoya went for a takedown, it seemed like he got it. You know, a lot of people are gonna say that Moreno got robbed. One judge had the fight, 49-46 Moreno, which even though I'm a big Moreno fan, I knew for a fact that that judge was looking at something that he shouldn't have been looking at because there's no way Moreno won that fight. So you go into the scorecard, split decision. Pantoja ends up winning. He goes into a heartfelt message after the fight talking about his dad wasn't around. He was raised by a single mother. He asks his dad, you know, are you proud of me now? Are you proud of me now? So, very heartfelt, but, you know, I'm, I'm proud of Pintoia. He's He worked really hard to get here, and now he's the new champion. So, he's going to go defend his belt against I don't know who, but they were talking about a trilogy between Brandon Moreno and Alexander Pantoja. Now, a trilogy would make sense if Moreno beat Pantoya the first time in 2019. Then they would be one-on-one. One. But right now, Moreno is 0-2 against Pantoja. So, a trilogy right now wouldn't really make sense. I don't see moreno immediately rematching Pantoya for that flyweight title i see that flyweight title getting contended by somebody else first and then if moreno can rack up maybe one or two contender wins then he'll go back and fight for that title but for now i don't see moreno going back and immediately fighting for that title again just because he is 0 two against Pantoya. and you don't really see a trilogy when you're already down in the ranks or down in the in the record but Dana White has done crazy things in the past, and I think he'll continue to do crazy things in the future. So we'll see. I'm I'm intrigued, and I'm interested to see what will happen with those two fighters and with that flyweight belt. But that was a really good fight, and that was arguably the fight of the night and arguably fight of the year so far. And, you know, the 30th anniversary of the UFC is this year, so Dana White made it his mission to put together pristine cards all year and that's what he has been doing you know the fight nights that you have in between the the ufc 290s and 291s and stuff like that the fight nights maybe aren't as great but they're still really good fighters fighting really good cards and dana white is really doing his thing this year which i'm really happy about so that is the co-main event and then on to the main event we got alexander volkanovsky against Yair, yair rodriguez now, Alexander Volkanovsky is arguably the greatest featherweight to ever fight in the UFC. Me personally, I think Jose Aldo is still holds that spot as greatest. He was just inducted into the Hall of Fame on Friday and he has numerous title defenses. He did lose to Conor McGregor and you know, after that he just kinda wasn't the same. Now he's doing boxing. He's not in USC right now. He's doing boxing, but he's still in combat sports. But I think Jose Aldo still deserves his respect as greatest featherweight of all time. But Alexander Volkanovski is climbing that tree to be in that conversation and to really threaten Jose Aldo in my opinion of greatest featherweight of all time. Now, this guy, he's undersized, former rugby player. He's 5'6", fighting at the 145. He was fighting against a bigger Yair Rodriguez. Yair Rodriguez is an interim champ because he beat Josh Emmett for that interim title. That was when Alexander Volkanovsky moved up into the lightweight division to fight Islam Makhachev for, to to try and be double champ. And he ended up losing. He ended up becoming a better fighter because of it. So he claimed, came back, and he did damage against Yair Rodriguez. Now, Yair Rodriguez is a dangerous fighter. I did not go into this fight thinking Volkanovsky had an easy task ahead of him. Yair was... Longer, taller, his his kicks are dangerous. His striking is a, a, immaculate, and you know, Volkanovski does have good striking on his own, but he also has really good ground game. So I was really interested going into this fight to see what would really happen. What would Volk do? How he how would he react to the height disadvantage, to the reach disadvantage? And he did a really, really good job. He ended up getting the win against Yair Rodriguez in the third round and to maintain the status of featherweight champion of the world. So, what's next for Volkanovsky? Who's his next opponent? I'm not sure. I know he's going to have to have surgery. And, you know, when he comes back, he's trying to fight another time before the end of the year. And I'm intrigued to see what is going to happen in that featherweight division or if he's just gonna to continue to run the table as he has been. So if if you did not see, like I said earlier, if you did not see this UFC 290 card, I suggest you go back and watch highlights of it just to see what you did miss because me talking about it alone does not do it service. Because it was a really, really good card and it's only gonna get better from here on out. So that's for UFC 290. A couple updates going we're talking about for the rest of the year. So UFC 291 is on July 29th, which is going to be in about three weeks. And that is going to be headlined by Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje. And they're going to fight for the BMF title. Now, the BMF title is just some corny thing, I believe, that the UFC did. Just, I don't know, for people who don't have a real... I, I don't even want to say have a real shot at the title because Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier both fought for the title. But I guess it's just another thing just to have fun with it. I mean, for 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 goodness sake, like Dana White invested in this power slap thing. I mean, it, I don't know. Dana is gonna do some wild things. But USC 291 is in Salt Lake City, Utah, gonna be headlined by Poirier and Gaethje for the BMF title. And then the co-main event of that is going to be Jean Blazowicz against Alex Pereira. Pereira, the former middleweight champion, is now moving up to the 205 to take on Jan, who is a number one contender. So, we have to think, and we have to assume that maybe the winner of this fight is going to get a chance at the title against Jamal Hill, who's the current light heavyweight champion of the world. The conversation was initially that Jamal Hill was going to take on Jerry Prochaska for the championship, but I think Jiri is just kind of playing around. He's not really taking it seriously or whatever may have you. I know Jamal Hill has been one that fight for a long time because, uh, Jiri Prochaska was the champion. He beat Glover Teixeira in order to get the championship belt. And then he ended up getting hurt, vacated the belt, uh, Gian fought for the, the belt and then tied against his opponent. And now, it, it, then it was vacant, and then yeah, uh, Jamal and Glover fought for the belt. Jamal ended up winning by decision, and now he wanted to fight Jerry to give him a chance to get his belt back, but we're not sure what's going to happen with that. So, if, if you ask me, I think the winner between Jan and Pereira is going to fight Jamal Hill for the light heavyweight title. And it would be really cool if that was the case, because it would be really cool to see Pereira fight for two titles really in the same year. And I think that will be really interesting, and I think that he could do it. I think if anybody's going to beat Jamal Hill, it's going to be Alex Pereira because of how dangerous he is. Then we also have fighters by the likes of Tony Ferguson against Bobby Green, Paolo Costa against Alex Garof, and then we have Steven Wonderboy Thompson against Michael Pereira. Then we have Derek, the Black Beast, Lewis versus Lima, and then Michael Chisa versus Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland was a guy that wanted to fight this past Saturday as well because so many people dropped out, and he said, hey, I'll step in and fight, and then I'll also fight again in three weeks. Now, they said, hey, he might be the real BMF of the UFC. You're giving Dustin Poirier, Dustin Gaethje, an option to fight for a BMF title, but it very well might be Kevin Holland. And if you ask me, I mean, his nickname is Big Mouth because he talks all the time, but He does back it up. He's a really good fighter, really good striker, and he's always going to want to fight. He's always going to, every single opportunity he gets, he's going to say yes. So I really respect Holland for that, and I can't wait to see him go toe-to-toe with Michael Chisa on July 29th, and that's really going to be something exciting to see. So a couple updates before I end the show. Arguably the best UFC fighter to ever grace the octagon, John Jones, has announced his fight against Stephen Miocic, for the heavyweight championship of the world on November 11th of 2023 in Madison Square Garden. Now this fight might be, if you ask me, it might be John Jones' last fight. You know, he took a three-year hiatus to kind of focus on his life, get clean. You know, he was in trouble a lot from drugs and his his wife and or fiance, what may have you. And you know, came back, fought Cyril Gan, who was the interim heavyweight champion, and beat him in the first round. And so, and then John Jones is just Came back and proved, yeah, I'm still that guy. So on top of that, Jones also won the SB4 Fighter of the Year, which I kind of don't agree with because, like I said, he was away for three years. He comes back, he comes back and fights once, and then all of a sudden he's Fighter of the Year. Now I love John Jones, but I think that there were other people deserving of that of that award that have been more consistent in the past few years. But shout out to John Jones for winning the SB. Hometown kid. You know, we're both from the same hometown. So I'm still going to rock with him. But Jones said something on Twitter some, to the likes of, I don't remember verbatim what it said, but to the likes of, what would it be like to have my last fight in my hometown of Madison Square Garden? And now he's he's doing it. He's fighting Stipe and it's official November 11th in 2023 of this year. And in Madison Square Garden. So it very well be... It very well might be John Jones' last fight. And if it is, I really hope he wins because I would love for him to be sent off to be undefeated in the UFC. Now, if you look at John Jones' record, he does have one loss, but that is from a DQ from illegal 12 6 elbows way back when. But he's never been defeated in the UFC. And I think if this is his last fight and he wins and he retires, I think that everything about the GOAT, the greatest of all time, whatever. I mean, you could you could talk about Khabib if you want to talk about record because he never lost, and he didn't have any losses on his record from DQs or anything, and he's always been a you know, stand-up solid guy. But, you know, Jones is just – he has some arguable losses too, I mean, from decisions from, like, Dominic Reyes or Alexander Gustafsson. You can argue that he lost those fights. But at the end of the day, judges saw it differently, and they gave him the wins. So you can't really argue that. You just got to keep pushing. But John Jones, Steve Miocic – november 11th 2023 in madison square garden can't wait for that fight and then of course in later on this year we have sean o'malley fighting aljamae sterling for the bantamweight championship of the world can't wait for that so we have a lot of good fights a lot of good things coming up for the rest of the year regarding our championship fights and different cards and everything like that so if you went this long, if you went halfway through the year and you have not tuned in to UFC, whether it be a fight night or whether it be a pay-per-view, I suggest you do that. But just don't use Stream East because that's what everybody's using and it's going to crash. But it's not too late to tune in. There's still a lot of good things that's going to happen the rest of this year. And hopefully next year, then it keeps this momentum going because he's doing a really good job putting things together right now. So that is it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in to another episode and uh, talk, just recapping UFC 290, UFC 291. Like I said, July 29th, Salt Lake City, Poirier versus Justin Gaethje for the BMF title. And then after that, we're just got we're just getting better and better and better and better. So that is it. Thank you for tuning in until next time. tap of the morning, tap of the morning, top of the morning, top of the morning, top of the morning, tap of the morning. Hello.